welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is one that uh, it doesn't really fit the traditional definition of movies I feature on this show, like underrated, underloved movies, movies you haven't heard about, obscure TV movies that four people in the world have seen. This one is a little more uh, famous these days, but it's an interesting discussion because it is a movie that at one time was not popular and then suddenly became really, really popular. And I'm trying to figure out why and when that happened, because it really surprised me when it became the legendary cult classic that it did. And I'm talking, of course, about the 1985 movie Clue, the uh, murder mystery, slapstick murder mystery from the mid-80s with the three alternate endings and the all-star cast that is a favorite these days among the meme crowd, among millennials, Gen Y. I know everyone loves this movie, but I will say right at the top of this podcast, this movie was not a hit at the time, and I would never have predicted Clue to become the huge sensation that it became. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how Clue became so beloved, and it's almost in a way... I'm going to get my co-host to convince me to love this movie more because I'm not entirely sure why Clue became this big thing. So here we go. I'm bringing on my co-host today, and this is a, uh, a special guest. He is a teacher, an actor, and the reason I picked him specifically for Clue is because he has recently directed the stage version of Clue. I don't know if people know there's a stage version of this movie out there now. He recently directed it. He's a big fan of it. He's very, very familiar with it. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about this, you know, movie versus stage production. So welcome to Staff Picks, Jimmy Gardner. Hello, Mario. Thank you. I'm very excited to be talking about Clue today. Now, why? Why are you very excited? What's the one thing that pops to your mind when you think about Clue? The one, the thing that pops to my mind when I think about Clue is that I, it's either going to be the character development. Um, I either think about the characters and the way that they interact, um, or just the. I think it's a hilarious movie. I think it's really funny. I think it has its flaws. Um, I, I might agree with you on that. You can't look at these plot lines too deeply as someone who just spent several months analyzing all three endings to make sure I was accurately representing it. Um, there are definitely some things that do not make sense. But um, between my friend circle, it's been the, the, the debate for years. Who's the better character, uh, Miss White or Mrs. Peacock? And I think I finally found my answer. <laughs> well, sure. should we spoil it? Who is the answer? Who is your favorite? <laughs> After the, all this time, I really think Miss Peacock outdoes Miss White. Now, I am going, my favorite moment of the movie, which of course is everyone's favorite, is the flame speech that was improvised there in ending C, I guess we're going to call these endings, A, B, and C. Um, so I'll give Miss White the credit there. But when I rewatch this movie, the person that gets me every time is Miss Peacock, even though I know it's coming. I, last night, I rewatched it just for this, and I was still laughing. So. <laughs> okay. Uh... So I gave you a little bit of an introduction. Give people a little, the bigger version of your introduction. I know you just have given me your bio. Like, how did you get involved in teaching, acting? What what makes you the perfect co-host for this episode? 
Oh no, there, there might be some people listening wondering if I'm the perfect co-host. But oh, okay. Wait, I, let me I, let me before you get going. I will say for my audience, Clue was the number one most requested episode of any movie I've ever done on Staff Picks. This is so beloved, and Jimmy is the one that somehow won the lottery to be the co-host. So I know he's angering so many people just with his presence. With that being said, Jimmy, now brag about yourself why you're better than everyone. Oh, great. Yes. Slide into the DMs. Let me know why I was terrible. But honestly, um, I, so I started out performing at a very young age. I act, uh, was performing on stage all through high school, started performing um, in college and then doing film work around all around the Midwest and in Atlanta and all these places. But um, the thing that I always was best at was stage comedy. Um, the idea that characters could just interact together and create something funny. That's my favorite thing to perform is a straight play that's a comedy. Um, I'd rather do that than any other thing. So that may be a reason why this movie appeals to me so much. So then I started uh, directing, directing adults. Um, and just recently, I made a big life change uh, into the education system. Um, I had an opportunity that uh, presented itself that I couldn't pass up to help um, a, a very successful theater program um, here in the Midwest. And so I came here and they there was a lot of pressure. What's this first show going to be with this brand new director who says that he's so talented? And I thought, man, I need a really good show. And they wanted it to be a play. And I knew Clue is a stage version now that lots of people are doing. And I, I, I knew the movie and I knew that my skill with a, a comedic play um, that's my best element. That's what I can direct the best because I know it the best. And I said, we're doing Clue. We're doing this stage version. And it was extremely successful. And everybody loved it. And I think that um, that that's probably why the movie has, got, has gained this cult following is that it um, our audiences walked away and loved everything about it or they knew the movie. And so they were a little in tuned with it. Um, but uh, it, it's not about the mystery, really, of who done it. It's about the the characters and their interactions. If your characters in a in a who done it kind of show interact, people don't care about the mystery of it. They'll ignore the plot holes, um, which with Clue you kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, just just for clarity's sake, could you please give us your Twitter name so all the people that hate you that the, you took their spot can be able to contact you? I would love nothing more. The Jimmy G with no I, because some loser already took it before me. So T-H-E-J-M-M-Y-G. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, yeah. But I'm not joking. This was seriously the number one most requested movie for staff picks. And again, it caught me off guard because I will say right. I, I'm from the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. I know the 80s very well. This movie was not a big deal when it came out. And I will say that as a person who saw all three endings in the theater. Like, I, saw, I went to this movie three times. And I don't know if a younger audience would, would know this, but yeah, this movie, they would market it. They'd say Clue is coming out in theaters, and they would say in the, in, the, in the ad, it's either ending A, B, or C. So you'd know you wouldn't be seeing the same ending every time. And I remember seeing all three of them, and I'm like, nah, I mean, it was a pretty good movie, but it never resonated with me. Although something you just said has already started to convince me maybe why this movie is a bigger deal now than, what it, than it was then. And it's because, here's my theory, I think stage comedy is more popular and accepted now as the mainstream than it probably was in the mid-80s. Mm -hmm. I'm just guessing, because I, I never remember stage comedy being a thing. I've never really been into live theater. But again, this movie, 
it didn't really it doesn't really appeal to the people that watched movies at that time because it's different than other movies maybe that's why maybe it's just a different type of comedy that people weren't used to seeing in movies back then i actually literally thought of that i like i'm not trying to be pretentious and be like oh it was ahead of its time because i'm not like that but um i think that when you watch this movie it is i think that's why it's so doing so well as a play maybe this movie really at its time it, it is the recording of a funny stage comedy, you know, we just watched it in theaters or, or it was released in theaters. I only ever watched it on DVD, but uh, you know, I, when we presented it, I told the, it told the actors, told the students uh, repeatedly, like I want the audience to feel like they're watching a very long, very well put together, which is kind of rare these days, Saturday night live sketch. Um, you know, something that I want them to just have a great time because if they're having fun, they're not going to look at like the intricacies of, of how did this really happen? And, um, the comedy works. It's very slapstick at times, which is not my favorite type of comedy, but, um, it, it's weird, but I buy into it and I still, I still like it and, and, and it works. Now is my observation correct here that almost everybody these days loves clue like it's like one of the most beloved movies out there was that incorrect or correct i think that my so like i think in the millennial generation yes well what's interesting is i guess my students now are gen z is that what we're calling them i don't know but they're not my generation i don't think but um they were like a little familiar with it like they kind of knew what it was but i will say that i then played this dvd to all of my theater and acting classes, and especially to my cast, I said, let's watch it, let's see. And my still, in 2000, well, 19 at the time, um, my students, some are as young as 14, hooked, watched every second. We would have to pause it, you know, because you run out of time, and it's, um, well, wait, who was it? Well, who did it? Or, or they still get the laughter, they still, they get it, and um, they have their favorite characters, and um, I was worried that it wouldn't work, that it might feel too old to these people who are born, you know, post 9-11. Um, but it, no, it didn't. It still worked. But I was introduced to this movie, as you're saying, I was introduced to this through my friends who loved it, who were all all born after this came out. Um, they, and That's how I even found out about it was like, have you ever watched Clue? Like when I was in junior high, maybe around that time. And I'm like, no, what is, you know, what? And then. Um, we watched it. I mean, we, this, we gave each other these movies for Christmas. Like these were like our Christmas gifts. Like we watched it a million times through high school and college. So now this is interesting because like my daughter, I bring her up a lot on the show. She doesn't like comedy. She's 19 years old. She doesn't like most comedy. She's like, most comedy movies are not funny. She's not a big fan of most 80s movies. She's like, most 80s stuff isn't that good. And I don't necessarily disagree with her. I think she's actually right a lot of the time. Like, mm -hmm. most comedies are not all that outstanding. I'm very curious if this movie would appeal to her. Because now I'm not sure I've actually introduced her to it. But I think she knows all the memes. She knows, she knows meme culture. She's of that generation. I'm sure she can quote Clue. But I don't think she's ever actually seen it. It's very, again, it's just fascinating to me that this movie, out of all the movies from the 80s, is the one that really kind of caught on when there was other stuff like... Um, like A Fish Called Wanda, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, that were much bigger, funnier movies at the time, yet this one persisted. Although, one other thing I wanted to bring up is that there's some other movies over the years that were stage plays, basically, and they all flopped at the time, and they all became cult classics later. 
it's almost like there was a pattern. Like, Noises Off is another big one. I'm assuming you know that one. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Noises Off. Now, that movie was a flop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's one with Sylvester Stallone called Oscar. Do you know that one? I do not. Okay, that was a huge, massive, one of the biggest flops ever. But I can imagine that works very well as a stage play, and I bet there's a lot of people out there that love that. I'm just... This maybe I, I'm already kind of convincing myself why this clue renaissance happened. Did now side note did and I I should know this maybe it's embarrassing that I don't was noises off the play first or the movie first? I don't know I'm the wrong person to ask I I, okay. I never heard of the stage play I'm guessing the stage play was first I just didn't know about it. Yeah noises off the play I mean that's one of the most I mean that's your go to comedy play I mean everyone's either seen or been in noises off and I actually. Um, thought about doing that as my first out of the gate, but um, I, I knew my kids could relate to Clue better than they could relate to Noises Off. It's just a little, it's a little higher of a bar than what uh, Clue is, so we went this way instead. <laughs> okay, now, I will say, the, okay, well, as before, we're going to go into the movie here in a second and spell out the plot for everybody, although I don't know who doesn't know the plot of this movie nowadays. It's kind of going to be <laughs> pointless, but... When I came out of Clue, like in 1985, I'm 11 years old and I see it, there's only one thing that I took from that movie, and it was not Mrs. White with the flames on the side of her face. I didn't even, I didn't even remember that quote until I started seeing memes oh, about so it. I'm good. like, what? how did that quote, which is only in one of the three endings, by the way, yep. you only would have had a 33% yep. chance of seeing that, that quote in the movie. Here's my one takeaway from this movie in 1985. Boy, that Yvette has nice boobs. <laughs> my one of my notes so I, i'm a very prepared person i've got two pages of notes they're in columns that's how i do that's how you have to live your life as a director and one of my notes says yvette yvette's dress baby what <laughs> i'm sure that's what you remembered when you walked out that's the only part of the movie that when i was showing it to my high school students i thought I don't know. If, I guess we're just going to watch this and just move right past it. <laughs> yes, I, I've talked about this on Staff Picks. I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, so I'm not. So I'm not seeing Trading Places or Porkies or any of their R-rated stuff or like uh, Screwballs. But Clue with Yvette in her low-cut dress. Like, thank God for Colleen Camp. That was the closest thing I was allowed to see an R-rated movie when I was a kid. So again, that was my only takeaway for years. Oh, that's the movie with Yvette in that French maid outfit. That's literally all I remembered. Yes, our Yvette's maid outfit did not look like that. Um, she did very well, but did not look like that. But I'm actually, I just found out recently, I'm directing Clue again this summer back home. Um, but I'm directing it with adults. And so our Yvette um, may be more like the movie version than what our student version was. You know what I have to say about that? God bless you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for fighting the good fight for us out there. Oh, they're going to, well, these adults will be lined up to play a vet because they, you know, theater adults are weird. They, they want to wear that, but yeah. <laughs> Do you know the history, how Colleen Camp got that role in the movie? I honestly don't know. Yeah, she was like a second tier movie star at the, at the time. She was in the movie Valley Girl. You, you might not know all these movies, but she was, she was around, but she was never like the biggest star. But she was notorious for being very busty and, you know, well endowed. So she came to the, she, want, she wanted this role so badly, she came to the audition in a low cut French made outfit just to emphasize that she should be the one to play Yvette. And that's literally why she got the role. So 
worked, and it worked very good for her. Good for her. Now that's one of the things we told you. know, one of the things you should avoid is um, not going to the audition dressed as the part you want to be. I think it's really off-putting, but in this case, it worked out for her. That's right. So Colleen Camp always been a big favorite of mine. Didn't do too many other movies that I know. Although, okay, let's get into a little trivia for this movie. You might not know some of this. When this movie came out in theaters, obviously there were three endings. You didn't know which one you were going to get. Obviously it was A, B, or C. But they they would hand out little slips of paper at the theater where you could, like, fill out, like, a clue board game and you could try to solve the mystery yourself. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Huh. I did not know that. But good for them trying to make it interactive. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember filling that out any at any point in any one of the three showings because you're in the dark and I don't know how you're possibly going to do that. But it was a nice little gimmick. And do you know who was originally supposed to play Miss Scarlet in the movie? Yes, I do know. Uh, Carrie Fisher, correct? Yes, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. And do you know why she lost out on the part? Was it something with her, like, addiction? Was that in that time? Yeah, she had some relapse or overdose right before they had to bring in this actress, Leslie Ann Warren, to play Miss Scarlet. And I personally think Miss Scarlet kind of steals the movie. She might be my favorite character. Yeah. Oh, she's great. I think that the the takeaway that I that from Clue, well, one of the million, um, for that um, the the female characters I think are so much better than the males. Um, and the female, I, I sometimes I call them players, characters, whatever you know, people. Um, on the stage version, they pop so much more than the men characters. So no offense to all those who have who have now not Wadsworth, but I'm talking yeah. about Plum and Green and uh, Mustard. Those three, to all the people who have played them, I, I'm proud of you. But um, Scarlet, Peacock, and White, I mean, that's the part to have, man. Yeah, but so I have to give a shout-out to Leslie Ann Warren coming into this movie with, like, two days preparation and pulling it off. So I think she did a great job. Even though I have long thought when I watched this movie, she's basically doing an Elvira impression. Yes. <laughs> it's like the exact same, like Cassandra Peterson could have played that. It would have been perfect. But anyway, all things considered, yeah, the, the female characters are much stronger than the males, especially Professor Plum. I have, to, I have to share one thing with my audience. I, I will share my embarrassing failures as a human being here that I saw this movie many times. Like I saw it three times in the theater. Then I bought it on VHS. I had it on DVD. And I probably was not. I w it was like 10 years. I was in my 20s before I realized that that Professor Plum was the same actor as Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Because <laughs> he's so underplayed and underwritten in this. He's so low energy. I'm like, oh, my God, I never even put two and two together. That's Christopher Lloyd. That's the same dude. So that's his, one of my failings as a human, not realizing that's Doc Brown. Yeah. I, I, one of the differences, one of the bigger difference. well, there's a lot, but one of the bigger differences to note for from the stage version is they really do um, give the three male um, guests, I guess we're going to call them, um, more of a, uh, I don't want to say nuance, more of a personality. Um, and so it, it, it is works a little better, a little bit more, I should say, but not a lot. Um, Mustard is um, very dumb. He's the dumb blonde, kind of. He has a lot of additional lines that are not in the film where he is, um, he gets a lot of laughs because he's, uh, he doesn't understand words. Um, he he has a, a stronger political difference than the rest of them. And then Plum is a, is a um, more sleazy, even though he's a little sleazy in the movie. He really is more of like a quagmire from Family Guy um, kind of thing. So they, they did, they did flesh him out. But yeah, when you watch this film, 
uh, the women pop. And then, of course, Tim Curry, uh, Wadsworth, is, I think he's phenomenal in it. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask. That was one of the questions. When you do this show now, is Professor Plum still a gropey McGroperson? in the me too era. I'm not sure you can get away with that, but so you're saying that you just went over, they go, no, I'm saying you, as if you wrote this play, you didn't write this play. This is an existing stage play, right? Oh yeah. No, I did not write it. I would, wouldn't that be awesome if I did, I'd have a lot more money. (laughs) (laughs) No, this play exists. It's, it has not been out for a while. It's through a company called play scripts. When you, when you select your plays and your musicals and stuff, you have to pay those, those rights, pay that money to have the, to be allowed to do it. And the rights for Clue for being a little play are very are, are not cheap, um, but it's because it's been out not that long and um, everyone is doing it. Like I said, I just found out I'm getting ready to do it again this summer, six hours across the country. So, um, yeah, no, it's um, anyone can do it. You just as long as you pay the fee. OK, and there's one more actor I'm going to mention before we go into the plot here, the elephant in the room here, Tim Curry, obviously. Now, I kind of exaggerated when I said the only takeaway from this movie as a kid was Colleen Camp's breasts. That was not correct. It was actually, you remember it as the Tim Curry movie. And this is one of those rare movies. I cannot picture anybody else playing that role. Like, this is such a Tim Curry showcase once he gets going. And I know know, he's a beloved actor. People know him from a lot of other things. But, like, A, I cannot imagine this without Tim Curry in it, which is why... I have a hard time imagining the stage play even into my head trying to picture it with someone else trying to do that. But then there's the trivia that Tim Curry was not even the first choice for Wadsworth. They wanted, I think, Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. Yes, I read that on, uh, I don't know, IMDb or somewhere. But, yeah, I read that and thought, what is wrong with you? What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he is so great. And so, yeah, any, you know, criticism I ever had with this movie not being that great does not apply to Tim Curry, who is absolutely a scene stealer in this movie. And that's why I will even just flat out say, if you've never seen Clue, I don't know who you are, if you've never seen Clue, but you should at least once just to see Tim Curry at his peak, just stealing this movie. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, the, his reenactment at the end, he says, let me take you back through the night and just the the actor the choices he makes the comedic choices he makes like when he's running from room to room and at one point he runs with high knees um the way he falls like it's it, the physical comedy it, i just i i love that uh, i think it it's hilarious i laugh every time you know you're gonna sell me on this movie i'm warning you <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because I again, I people have been asking for this episode for two years, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do Clue. I don't like it that much. But so, all right, you're gonna sell me if you're if you're gonna start talking about acting choices from Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And and here's the other thing that I think gets overshadowed with the movie too. It's a short movie. It's like an hour and a half, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not even an hour and a half. That's with all three endings. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because the DVD shows you all three, and that's the only way I've watched it. But yeah, so it's, it's so even if it's like oh, not the best, which at times maybe it's it, it has its issues, but you, it's like it's watching like an episode of TV. I mean, just put it on; it'll be over. You don't even have to get up at any point. Like it's it's so fast. Yeah, I noticed that in my notes when I was doing research. The movie there's literally like an hour ten. And then that's where it switches to one of the three endings. And so like at the theater, it would have been like a 75 minute movie. (laughs) It was like, wow, was it really that true? And I was reading some reviews from of the time, some contemporary reviews, and they all pointed out the same thing. Like almost nobody liked this movie. There's no critics that thought it was that good. Yeah, I read that. They all commented, 
A, it was way too short, and Roger Ebert pointed out what a gimmick the three endings was. He's like, you know, the nice thing is, if you have three endings, none of them have to be any good, because you can just throw a bunch of different ones at them. <laughs> so that was like the, the mindset at the time, that this was not really a successful movie, but it was a cute little novelty. Yeah, and I read when I was researching it that they actually filmed a fourth ending as well and then cut it. Yeah, that's... See, I don't know this movie well enough. I read about that. There was a fourth ending involving Wadsworth doing everything. Yes. And then it was in the novelization or something. There was like a novel of this. And it was included in that, but it wasn't in the movie, so it confused people. Yeah, and one thing that I think it, that I do give it credit for is that when you watch the first, you know, three-fourths of the film or whatever, um, the, the cut to where, the, you know, the ending starts when he comes out of the closet and he turns the power back on. That's like where you're you're that's where you've now gotten the ending that you're going to get. So but before that, the 75 percent of the movie before that is filmed and they try their best in a way to where all of these endings are kind of happening. Um, and then they tell you what it is. But like you still got to like make sure they make sense, which they do about 80 percent of the time, maybe. Um, and <laughs> when you go back then and watch it with the idea that Wadsworth did it. Um, those traces are in there and I never noticed them before back when I was younger. Um, there is, there are times that he is missing to justify that he did it for this ending D ending four that we never, we never got to see. Huh? Although I would personally say you're being very generous when you say 80% of the time it works. This is movie. This is a movie that does not stand up to scrutiny. If you're actually looking for the murder to be solved logically. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've ranked the endings in the way that they work the best. So let, let's scale it down to a uh, 45%. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to walk through the plot of this movie. We're going to, this will be a lot of fun. I will say personally, when I saw this movie, I saw ending C first. I don't know why that just the one that was in my theater yeah. locally. Do you know which one, as a non eighty, as a non child of the eighties, do you know which one was ending C? I'm well. My only, my only thing that I have to go with is I, I call them A, B, and C in the order they appear on the DVD. So is C where Green is the undercover cop and everyone did it? Yes, that is the one that I saw first. Yes, and that one. I think a lot of people like that one the most because in the movie, the way the movie presents it, that's the way it really happened. Yeah. But at the time, if you read all the reviews, most of the reviews said that ending A was the one that was the most logically or satisfying and <laughs> made the most sense. Yep. And that's the Miss Scarlet one. Yes, I actually have that right here. Uh, that A, make to me, A makes the most sense. It actually satisfies the plot that it starts out if, that Yvette was doing some of it and then Scarlet kind of took over. Um, but C, I like the most, um, I get the flame speech and I get all that stuff and spoiler alert, uh, C is the ending for the play. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the one that most people know that yeah. makes sense because if you watch the DVD or whatever, that's how it's presented. But at the time I do remember the reviewers saying C was the least satisfying. Like Roger Ebert said, C is just ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. Interesting. Yeah, so we flip-flopped. And I remember the B one with Mrs. Peacock. I saw that one last, and I'm like, this one sucks. Why did I save this one for last? Yeah, I think that one sucks. Even though I love Miss Peacock, I think uh, B, I have B uh, ranked as the worst of the three. It, it just doesn't work. Okay, so here we go. The plot of Clue. Are you ready for this, Jimmy? I'm ready. <laughs> Okay, so the movie is set in New England in 1954, and it is based on a board game. I guess we probably should have mentioned that. This oh, yeah, was the we probably should have. <laughs> very first movie ever based on a board game, a little trivia. Mm -hmm. 
and in Australia, and I believe in England as well. It's known as Cluedo. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, when I first uh, heard that, I was Googling Cluedo. Cause I'm like, does the game, is it different? Does something different happen? And I guess it's just a, you know, a different name for this, for I don't know why. I think the only difference is that they all have free health care in this one. <laughs> well, let's go to Cluedo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I was reading some trivia. Now, I'm, I'm from, I was born in the 70s. This board game predates me. This is from the 50s or 60s. And I know in the original version of the board game, one of the murder weapons was poison. Hmm. And they eventually took it out and replaced it with, I think, the lead pipe, perhaps. I'm not okay. sure, but... Someone older than me would know that, but Poison was originally in the game, and there's an actually shout-out to it in the movie where they say, oh, maybe he was poisoned, and Mrs. Peacock screams. That's a shout-out to the original Poison murder weapon. Yes, we get that wonderful Peacock scream, which is so over-the-top, and I laugh every single time. Are you going to successfully be able to do an impression of that when we get to it? <laughs> I don't know if I can do it as high pitch, but maybe. <laughs> All right, so here we go. It's a murder mystery set in a mansion in New England in 1954. I don't know why it has to be in 1954. No idea. It was a movie in the 80s, but it, okay, we are. So, and it really opens, um, I mean, it's pretty much uh, like any murder mystery. You have the butler, this is Wadsworth, Tim Curry, arriving at this mansion, and he is preparing a dinner party for all these guests and one by one we will meet the guests and i will give you the honor jimmy explain the six guests that we're going to meet yeah so they they arrive um and colonel mustard uh come is the first guest that we that we we get to meet he is um and we find out very quickly um that they are they're using an alias um uh to cover their true identity again there's so much stuff in this movie you can't you just can't really dig too deep into it or you're gonna get lost so you just gotta buy it so okay fine so we don't even we never even know what these people's real names are um and colonel mustard's gonna come first um in, in the play version he's very goofy and very uh dumb which you kind of get a little bit here but i feel like in the movie He's more uh, militant because, he, you know, mili he has a military background um, and we get him first and he gets to be um, trapped kind of in a room with Yvette alone there a little bit. So there's a cutaway. So I'm not I'm not sure how that how that went for them. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Why don't you explain who Yvette is for the people who may not have seen the movie? So Yvette is the maid um, and she kind of is the. You know, you have your six people that are going to arrive. You have Wadsworth, that's seven. And then you have Yvette. And she is kind of the unsung, uh, I don't want to say lead, but eighth person on the board mm -hmm. who may have done it, um, even though she, you know, are, we're, we're spoiling the movie, I'm assuming, all the way through. She is going to die where the other ones don't, really. Um, but, yeah, Yvette is the French maid and they, uh, a very modest costume choice. <laughs> Yeah, if you've if you've heard the phrase low cut, I believe they they introduced that word to the lexicon for Yvette. It's not even low like they purposely are just she's barely staying in her top. <laughs> Again, love love this movie when I was an eleven year old boy. It was fantastic. Yes, I'm sure. So so mustard gets left there with the great line uh from Wadsworth who tells Yvette to uh Give him anything that he, you know, he would desire within reason. He lets her know. 
<laughs> yeah, okay, well, before we get to the other characters, let me point out the actors in this movie. For mm-hmm. a younger audience, you might not know that everybody who was in this movie was a fairly big comedy star at the time. Mm-hmm. But they were never, like, the top stars. They weren't the people, you know, the... You know, Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton's the guys headlining the movies. All these people were like the ones right under them. So like Michael McKean, Mr. Green, he was well known from Spinal Tap and Lenny, uh, Laverne and Shirley and other stuff. Martin Mull, who plays Colonel Mustard, was well known. He was a in a sitcom called Fernwood Tonight. Very, very well respected comedic actor. Always played the second fiddle in a lot of movies like Mr. Mom. He's in Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. Madeline Kahn, who's Mrs. White, she was a big deal. She was from the Mel Brooks movies, very, very famous. Uh, I don't know Eileen Brennan as well. I know she was a well-respected comedic actress. I don't remember off the top of my head what she was from. And then uh, who else is in here? Uh, Christopher Lloyd, of course, Doc Brown from Back to the Future, but also Reverend Jim from Taxi. A lot of people might not know that he was in that as well. So a lot of all, these were all big stars. The one who was kind of the outlier was Leslie Ann Warren, who played Miss Scarlet. But she had actually been an Academy Award nominated actress a couple of years before this. So she was a good get as well. So these were all big name stars at the time. Yeah. And it's funny, like we talk about, you know, this, you know, becoming a cult movie later and it's almost like it reversed because you know for me when when i see these people if i'm ever watching older tv older cinema whatever um they're these people to my generation like hey that's miss white you know uh that like that that's what we we would know them from except for um you know christopher lloyd is i you're gonna get more back to the future recognition and and i feel like everyone just knows who tim curry is but for the the rest of them um this is who they are you know to us i guess if i can speak on behalf of thousands of people No, no, I think you're absolutely right. And that's so bizarre to me. And just these generational gaps, like Madeline Kahn, to me, I know her from the Mel Brooks movies about Blazing Saddles, History of the World, Young Frankenstein. She was like so big in those. And like, to me, Clue is just an afterthought kind of towards the end of her career. And so it's really, again, just a generational thing. There's no right or wrong way to look at that. But it's that always catches me off guard that people know her from Clue. And then maybe she did some other stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you see her on, on something, on a meme, on a page or, or whatever. And, uh, or when, you know, if I watch, if I watch young Frankenstein or these kind of things, like, Oh, there's miss white. Like I wish she'd talk about the flames on her face again. (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny about Madeline Kahn. I'm just going to throw out a little side trivia in this movie. In this movie, she's so repressed and cold Mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, she's got a stick up her butt, but every other movie Madeline Kahn was in, she's always the flamboyant horny one. So right. I always think it's funny that she's so toned down in this one. That's not what I'm used to seeing from Madeline Kahn. The dry delivery she has, which I guess the segue is perfect because she's the second one that we get here. Um, yeah. Okay. Come, yeah. Go. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The next one we get is Miss White. Um. And you know, in the irony, she's Miss White. She's all in black. Um. She has a veil. You know, very, very. Like she maybe just got back from a funeral, which she's been to a lot since all of her husbands have mysteriously died. Um, And just this dry delivery, which can be such a hard delivery to give um, because you're bordering. You could easily fall to just boring, you know. And so um, Mm -hmm. she's so dry, which is why I think that the times that she does get a little more animated um, are are so funny um, when she does escalate. But, yeah, she arrives second. Um, in her all-black attire and, and her veil. You know, one thing I want to point out is that 
I believe the contemporary opinion of this movie at the time was they kind of wasted Madeline Kahn. Because yeah, she's so she was yeah, she was such a scene stealer in every other movie she's ever been in. In this one she's very much dry, like you said, it's a very different delivery and it has to grow on you if you're not used to that. So but at the time that was kind of the thing, like why did they put her in this movie and just waste her? They wouldn't let her do anything. So I, but that's interesting that it's changed over the years, the perception of what how good she is in this. Well, so it sounds like from what you're saying that that people would have went into the movie maybe suspecting her to to be Mrs. Peacock instead. Absolutely. She is she is really I don't know miscast is the right word, but it she's playing against type very very strongly here. This is not what people expected from Madeline Kahn. Huh. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. She arrives second. Um she's there and then um we get Oh, I'm falling. Do I get Peacock? Peacock. I get, I, Peacock, I get yeah. Peacock and Green confused. Then we get Peacock um, with Miss G. Uh, I'm already Wait, laughing. You get Miss Peacock and Mr. Green confused? Wait a minute here. No, no, no. I don't get them confused <laughs> in any way. I forget who comes in next because I know Scarlet and Plum come in together at the end. But yeah, we get Peacock. I'm already laughing thinking about this crazy woman. I think today's generation may think of her as like what we would think of like a cat lady. Um, somewhat an older, just batty woman. And she, and she comes in next with a, a nice, uh, uh, leaf adorned clip in her head that, uh, <laughs> later will fall in her face and make me laugh out loud. So then she's there. <laughs> and then Mr. Green, my, at the time he was my personal favorite, Mr. Green. Yes. Mr. Green, which depend, you know, depending on your ending is maybe not Mr. Green. Um, in, in the stage version, he's, uh, Larry is his name, um, and he's a, a, a nervous kind of guy um, and uh, a little uptight, a little uh, awkward and fidgety. Um, and then Scarlet and Plum are going to come in together. Scarlet's wearing a, a weird coat with a very high collar. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, when I was a kid, like they have you ever played the board game Clue? Yes, I have. OK, like back in the 80s, they'd have cards. You'd pass out with images yeah. of each player. The Mr. Green one was the biggest difference between the card yeah. and the movie. Yep. Because in the movie, he's in the, in, the, in the board game, he's like this fat old businessman who's bald. Yeah, they go to more of the nerdy type with him here. But yeah, um, if you look at those old board games from, you know, the old, I have one of the old ones. Um, I don't know what year it was, but like it's definitely pre the movie. Um, and you, it's hard to tell who's who if you just look at the actors on the front of the board or the mm -hmm. the models, whatever they're called. But yeah, yeah, Miss White was like this old maid. I remember that on yeah. the board game. She's this old woman, and all of a sudden she's this tragic, you know, man eater. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so all, all the characters are here. They've all been introduced, and Wadsworth brings them all, and they're all in this mansion. And also in the mansion are Yvette, the, the sexy French maid, and the cook, who we haven't talked about, the monotone cook who doesn't say much. Yeah, and apparently she has a name. Her name is Mrs. Ho. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Ho. Good. Yeah. In the play, she does have a name, so I never really knew she had a name. But, yeah, Mrs. Ho is there, but she's, she's not long for this world. <laughs> Mrs. Ho is in the kitchen. So, yeah, so all the people come in, and Wadsworth introduces them to each other. And I believe at the start we have the dinner scene. They all sit down for soup and just make uh, introductions and stuff. Yeah, we're going to start with our, our – we're going to have some shark fin soup. And we quickly note that there's an empty seat, and they want to know if that is for their host, for whoever brought them there. And, and Wadsworth tells them, no, that's actually for the other guest, which – 
is a sticky storyline in itself because that's technically not true. But anyway, um, that's going to be for Mr. Body, who is not there yet. So they're going to eat their soup. And Peacock starts in with her uh, her rant, uh, uh, why they're all there. And, and she almost introduces herself in a way of, of what what she is, which is a, a senator's wife. And she quickly remembers that she reminds us, the audience, that they are to not uh, they are not to speak about um, you know, their, their real lives, which is going to not even matter in five minutes when Tim Curry tells them all what they're there for anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to get bogged down too much in the logic of this murder mystery. Cause no. It doesn't make much sense, no. but yeah, the, the short version is all these people are high shot or are big shot Washington DC insiders are all involved in government or some way or married to someone or have a defense contract. So again, there's a whole government slash communism slash, you know, uh, un-American activity subplot, which I couldn't give less of a rip about. I couldn't care at all. Yeah. Even in the end, Tim Curry is going to tell us um, that, you know, the reason body was blackmailing them is because they're the people he finds most un-American and, you know, watching it in a 2020 lens, it's like, huh, <laughs> they, they might've not been so bad. <laughs> These guys were out playing Cluedo. They were communists. Right. Yeah. But yes, they all, I mean, real quickly, we can, they're in a brief, brief way. Their, their secrets here, Scarlet or uh, Peacock, she's a Senator's wife. She uh, takes bribes from lobbyists for her husband's vote. Scarlet runs a, a escort service that provides men with the, 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 uh, entertainment of a young lady um plum works for a world health organization but has been banned or barred whatever the term would be for uh having sex with one of his patients white suspected of killing several of her husbands mustard is a client of miss scarlet so she kind of recognized him and green whose secret it holds up the worst in the lens of 2020 is that he's a homosexual and it uh does not uh, I think it is. It does not play very well today. Well, it's not that he's a homosexual. He's a homosexual FBI agent. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. In his job. That, that it would be bad in his job. Yeah, very, very correct. And historically, I will point out, historically, that would have been accurate. You would not right. have been allowed to have that kind of security clearance and be considered, again, a homosexual would have been considered a deviant. So while it doesn't play now, that would have been accurate for 1950s, just pointing that out at least. Yeah, it's very hard to stage it in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Do you give him some other secret instead, or you still stick with that? Well, uh, not to get into a long tangent, but they're very, people. You have to be very careful with changing any lines, or they will they will come find you. You know, you can't deviate, but um, you can ask permission to. But um, we go with it. But there's a lot of you know, uh, we for me it was pushback from the students. It was you know, which uh, is a good thing, I guess. But mm -hmm. maybe I'm in a more liberal minded school. But it was like. You know, like how you just said to me, like, I kind of had to explain that to them, like, well, that no, that would have been a thing, you know, back then. And, and they're like, why? That's dumb. What do you mean? That's stupid. Like, and I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but it doesn't change the fact that it right. was a thing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's all that's all their uh, that what they're being blackmailed for by this uh, Mr. Body man. OK. We are about to meet Mr. Body, who mm -hmm. is the, he is not long for this movie. Nope. 
Although I love the, one of my favorite trivia bits about this movie. I just read this the other day and I'd never heard this before. The, did you hear why they cast this guy to play Mr. Body, this specific actor? No, I have no idea. <laughs> this is maybe the stupidest trivia <laughs> thing I've ever heard. It's so, it's so stupid. It becomes awesome that this guy plays Mr. Body. He is going to be the murder victim. He is the one that's blackmailing all these people. He's played by an actor named Lee Ving, L E E V I N G who at the time was the lead singer of a punk rock band named called, uh, called Fear. Mm. I don't know why this guy was cast in a movie. He's a, like this punk singer. And they said the only reason they cast him is because his name was Lee Ving, and they knew he would be leaving the movie soon, so they thought it would be a cute <laughs> little pun. And that's totally true. That's in, uh, in the wow. trivia about this movie. That might even be worse. I thought you were going to say that he showed up in the event outfit also. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the 50s no these deviants were not cross-dressing no, no, just kidding but yeah that, that's specifically why they cast him and he only has a couple lines but yeah. he's not even an actor he's just this punk singer that they cleaned up it's kind of funny yeah he it, it, that's our first when we get into the movie our first thing of um you know where the you can't dig into the plot because he's apparently the guest but then when they move to the study he's actually the one that brought him there and then he brought them there, but now he wants one of them to kill Wadsworth, and it gets it gets very uh, it gets weird. Okay, yeah, I wanna I don't want to make this a two hour podcast. We're not gonna get too bogged down in this, but we're gonna go to the actual murder scene now. All the players have been introduced. Mister Body arrives. He's the one blackmailing Tim Curry. The butler says, you know, this man is the one who's blackmailing you about all your illegal affairs. So I've brought him here so you can kill him which doesn't make any sense. But okay. No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> and then Mr. Body says, hey, how about you kill Wadsworth instead, and then we all get out of here, and nothing changes, and there's no witnesses. And so this is where we get the famous scene where all the murder weapons are introduced, correct? Yeah, so Body's going to say, I bought, I bought you all gifts, which is very nice. Um, I would love to see him when he went out, and, and he picked up all these items and had them nicely gift-wrapped. Um, and they all get their we their weapons, and it's a very dramatic moment. And we get a uh, the weapons that we know from the board game: the candlestick, gun, a lead pipe, dagger, uh, a rope, mean you know more of a noose, and then a wrench, which is a very random one for me, but it's in there. <laughs> now I wonder if that's the one that replaced the poison. The yeah, the wrench is a weird one. I've never. I study a lot of true crime. I actually studied criminal psychology and stuff, and I have not heard too many murders that were committed with a wrench. Well, it also seems, it also seems like maybe he, he was just getting items from the house, and all of them seem very general, but I feel like the, like, does he have a garage? Like, where did he go get this Grinch from? I don't know. Maybe it was in the bathroom under the sink. Who knows? Well, well they, wait, they were pre-wrapped. They came in boxes, so he had to come with them. So we could have stopped at, like, Bed Bath & Beyond on the way and to grab some stuff. Although I'm not sure you can get a wrench there, actually. Or I don't know if they have guns either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, like, a plunger. Here's a plunger. Right, right yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure where he went shopping, but he got a, a really nice, eclectic uh, mix of things for these people. Very, very nice gifts. Well, you know, back in the 50s, they could buy you could buy a gun at Bed Bath & Beyond. This was a, It was I'm a different sure time. Could. I'm sure he, Maybe the Beyond <laughs> section is just gun and wrenches. I've never went, so I, I'll have to check it out. 
<laughs> okay, so this is where Wadsworth announces, all right, I've called the police. The police will be here in 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Somebody kill Mr. Body, and Mr. Body says, no, kill Wadsworth, and the lights go off, and everybody has a weapon. They've all been handed a weapon because Mr. Body wants them to kill Wadsworth, and in the ensuing darkness and the confusion, you hear a thud and a thump and a moan and a gunshot, and then all of a sudden the light goes on, and Mr. Body is dead or appears to be dead on the floor. Yes, he's laying there. When the light comes on, this is the scene where, um, and I never noticed this, but in this scene, Wadsworth is missing. This is like the very big, um, obvious tell of option D that we never saw is that uh, Wadsworth is missing for the rest of this scene, which I'd never noticed before. But anyway, um, yeah, he comes on and he's dead. He's dead. Even though there's no bullet wound, there's no blood. Later, they're going to tell us that it looks like his ear has been grazed and that he was... Um, he was laying there faking it. So I guess right now Wadsworth is faking dead, and these people are so crazy that they can't just stop to see if he's breathing. <laughs> oh, Mr. Body, you mean, not Wadsworth. Yeah, Mr. Body. I'm yeah. sorry, Mr. Body. <laughs> okay, so this is where we have, we have a dead person in the middle of the room, and nobody knows what happened because all the weapons, you hear them all going off. So yeah. something happened, and then they say, they say okay, I will, I will give you your moment of, uh, a moment of moment to shine here, Jimmy. This is where they say maybe he was poisoned and Mrs. Peacock is drinking the wine at the time and she lets out the most guttural scream I've ever heard out of a human. Now, I'm not <laughs> going to put you on the spot, but try explaining that sound to people who have never heard it before. <laughs> she, she takes a nice comedic pause to set it down and just this over the top scream. I know my voice doesn't go high enough, but just this. Like, it just goes on and on until the point that uh, Green has to uh, slap her to get her to stop. And I could totally see someone watching this sitting there being like, this is so stupid. But for some reason, it, it works for me. She is so dramatic in her screaming. She uh, she ends up being knocked in the face to shut up. Okay, and I have to bring something up. The slap to the face. Do you still do that in a stage production of this show now? Because I know that is a comedy trope that is not frowned upon where now I'm setting the stage for younger people. This was very much a comedy trope that a woman would become hysterical and scream and she would just lose it. And the only, the only way to shut her up was to slap her. Mm -hmm. And you see it in this movie clue. You see it in airplane. There's a very famous scene in airplane where they're lining up to slap the woman. It was a very, known comedy trope but i know people joke about that now and they're like you can't slap a woman do they still do that in the stage play they still do it's still in there um we still do it um it uh i, I totally understand what you're saying and i don't want to say like oh it worked because i don't think she deserves to be slapped but um mm -hmm. the way um we kind of staged it was when she sat on the couch we actually let green turn his back to the audience which as we all know you should never do um and you know act like he slapped her but slap his own hand which is how you know you do a stage slap or whatever um but because we played her so hysterical and i think because it's green slapping her not that it makes it better um but it works i think it would mm -hmm. maybe would be different if plum came up with his sleazy attitude and popped her in the face but it's uh, it's it's real nervous green and he's very he's way more uh has a nerdy element to him that he doesn't have in the movie. He's sniffly. He has a subplot where he's allergic to cats. And, um, but yeah, it still happens and, and it, it, it went okay. 
yeah, the only reason I bring that up is because I've seen this come up before. It's a generational comedy thing. Mm -hmm. And I just know there's some crossover in this podcast and also my Survivor audience. People know I also podcast about Survivor. There was a player in season 30 of Survivor, an older guy named Dan Foley. And there was a woman on his tribe he thought was hysterical. He's like, she's not making any sense. He's like, somebody should slap her. Yeah, it didn't go very well. Well, that's the thing. The audience is like, oh, he's advocating, you know, violence against a woman. And I'm like, no, he's old and he's he's quoting this old comedy trope because he thinks that people still do this so it's like it's just a generational thing i just wanted to point that out yeah no i yeah i totally understand but yeah he does uh he does stage slap her and and break her hysteria and then they say um well you know we'll find you know we the only way we'll know is if she dies and we get a funny moment where they all look at her waiting for her to die <laughs> again physical comedy and then this scene is quickly ended because we get more screams um from a different room in the house yes Yvette. So we yeah. hear Yvette. So Mr. Body has been murdered. We hear a scream from the other room and Yvette is now terrified. And this is the first moment of real slapstick where everyone rushes over to Yvette to see what's yes. going on. And I got to say, for as amazing as Colleen Camp pulls off the French maid outfit, I cannot say she pulls off the French accent as well. <laughs> There's a lot going on. The thing that bugs me about when we go into this scene and we see her it, it, even worse than the accent is, do you notice how her, like, they try to put something on her face, like her tear reflection is so distracting to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? I was looking more at her breasts, so I didn't notice, but yeah, I will look this now. But it, there is like, you've got her breasts are hanging out. She's putting on this French accent and the light is reflecting like, uh, you know, I'm sure she wasn't really crying. No offense to her acting skills. So they did something to her face to make it look like she had uh, tears on her. The the whole thing, it, it, it's a very interesting scene for any of those who haven't seen it. Yeah. And I'm not going to get her words right. I just remember her sing-songy accent. But no, you have left me in here with the killer. Yeah, and she <laughs> says, oh, I was, uh, because I drunk the, <laughs> the cognac too. Like, <laughs> All right, so, yeah, they all rush in, and Yvette is fine. She just heard the murder, and she's scared. And this is where Wadsworth, I think, shows up and explains, oh, I didn't mean for all this to happen. Like, there wasn't supposed to be a murder tonight, which I thought he was got, he brought them there to murder someone, so I don't, I'm not entirely sure why he's so upset. Yeah. But this is where we learn, he's like, you know, he was blackmailing you, he thought all of you were un-American, this did not work out like I like I thought it was going to work out tonight. And, and this is where they say... Uh, well, there's a murder and the cops are about to happen. So we got, and the cops are about to come here. So we got to figure out what happened. And they're saying, well, who else in the house could have killed Mr. Body if none of us did it? And they're like, oh my God, Mrs. Ho, the cook. Yeah. And now we rush in and now we're going to get the second murder victim, poor Mrs. Ho. Yeah, she wasn't long for the world. She, uh, they, they rush in very, there's a lot of uh, very Scooby-Doo like running from room to room, which uh, I, I'm a fan of, but they, they rush into the kitchen and, and they're looking around. She's not here, but she's going to fall out of the freezer onto Mr. Green um, with the dagger in her back. And, and Mrs. Ho is our second one to go here on this this fateful night in 1954. <laughs> yeah. And we're kind of overlooking. There's a lot of one liners here, especially yeah. the last scene with the vet. This scene, there's a joke about spiders and flies. And Mrs. White show knows that you attract a man through his fly. There's double entendres. And we're not really doing it justice. I'm assuming all these one liners are in the stage play, right? Yeah, the lines are very close. We get the line. We get the line from uh, after the cook's dead from Miss White about men are like Kleenex 
it. Men should be like Kleenex or tissue, uh, soft and disposable. Um, but yeah, th- there's a lot of, of nice little uh, line delivery here. We get Wadsworth tells us we need to move the cook's body to the study. Um, why? Because he likes to keep things tidy. He's the butler. So again, goofy little things that um, they stay on the stage version and, and, and I think they're remembered. Okay, so we're going to rush through the plot here because I want the ending to this movie is really more important than the the yes, details. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so so they drag the cook's body into the was it the library? I forget where they were. Where Mister Body and, and earlier. the study? They're going to put all the bodies in a study, but when they get there, Mister Body's body um, is gone. Yeah, so Mister Body is gone, and then they find him later. Mrs. Peacock finds him in the bathroom. <laughs> And now he's been bashed over the head, and now he's really dead. Yeah. So Mr. Body's been killed twice. So we have dead Mr. Body, we have a dead cook, and now everyone's looking around like, what the hell is going on here? Like, who is the murderer? And it's gonna, it's just going to be chaos. And I think that's part of the, you know, the method to the madness, why everybody is so underplayed at the start of the movie, all these actors that are usually bigger personalities. They tone them down at the start, and so they can start ramping up the hysteria starting now, and it'll just go crazy by the end of the movie. Yeah, and then we we really from here then take off on like a a a, a different um, part of the movie. It's just a chaotic running around kind of thing. They're moving so fast that you really don't have time to like maybe think about the plot holes, which is the point. And then we start getting our um, our little uh, I don't know what to call it uh, sampling of new people are going to now arrive. Um, I think in Star Trek is it like the red shirt people who are always <laughs> known to die. Like we start getting these guests who are also not long for the world, but just to up our body count. We got to up our body count in the movie. Yeah, this is the Friday the 13th method of storytelling. We need more bodies. So just have random people enter the house. Yeah. Who's who has ever been like at a party or something? And, like, four people have arrived in ten minutes that, like, weren't intended to be there. Like, I don't know. It's very funny. But, yes, for some reason on this night, um, random people are going to start arriving to this mansion. Now, I, at at the time, even as as I'm a kid, I'm 11 years old watching this movie, I'm thinking this is a flaw in the movie. Like, you could have just had Mr. Body and the cook be dead or even just Mr. Body be dead. And it still would have been an interesting movie just with one murder. Like, I didn't think at the time, I'm like, this is, that's probably one of the reasons this movie didn't resonate with me, because it got too silly and too over the top. You didn't need Mm -hmm. six murder victims, six killers. It gets really crazy. Now, that's probably why people like it, because they like these stage productions that get chaotic. But that's, I'm guessing, one of the reasons this movie didn't resonate with people, because it it goes off the rails a little bit in the reality here. Oh, it totally does. And, And they're trying to justify, I think, you know, their different endings. And, you know, in ending C and in the stage version, the reason we have all these people is because it's it, each person is tied to one of these characters and they each commit a murder. So we've got to get, we've got to get each person their their victim. And you know, they can only come in one way. They have to all just drop by and ring the doorbell and that's what they do. Yeah. And in keeping with the Friday, the 13th comparison in the original version, Yvette is impaled while having sex. So, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's not. <laughs> yeah. Thank God they left it out the stage first. <laughs> yeah. My shout out to Friday the 13th part two, one of my favorites. But yeah. Uh, so, okay. Let's bring in these extras, these red shirts that, uh, 
the, there's a mode. Okay. Oh, first they throw, they lock up all the weapons. They're like, okay, two people are yeah. dead. Let's lock up all the murder weapons in this cabinet. We'll take the key and we'll throw it outside into the bushes. And of course, everyone's in a huddle and there's all this subterfuge later that people can reach in and pull keys out of pockets. But for now, all the weapons have been locked up. They're all alone in the house. They're going to solve the murder before the cops get here. And this is where red shirt number one pops up, the motorist. Yes, just the motorist. I believe his name is supposed to be Mike. Um, but he uh, just he brought he just happened to break down on this rainy night and, and he needs to use the phone. And so he does. But he is not uh, he is not long for this this story because he is quickly uh, bashed in the head and, and killed. A little trivia note for our staff picks listeners. The most difficult movie trivia question ever. Name the motorist and clue. It's Mike. Mike. So right there, you will win a bet someday on the most difficult movie trivia question ever, because I have never, ever noticed his name was Mike. Yeah. And and I don't know that they say that there. I just know that at least we can go with the, the printed versions, the stage version, <laughs> those kind of things. It has a nice ring to it as Mike the Motorist. Okay, so it's not it's not canon from the movie. It was introduced in the stage play. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I really would need to spend some time digging in depthly to Mike the Motorist, but I don't know if I have time for that. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, because this movie's like the Bible. Scholars will pick it apart for years trying to deduce all the meanings. Oh, things. yeah. No, yeah. I don't want the people coming for me, guys. I don't know that it's canon from the movie, but I will say that now – the play based from Jonathan Lynn, the director, they went right off of the movie. It is line for line from the movie. They have decided that this guy's name is Mike. So take it up with them. <laughs> okay, so Mike arrives and he needs a place to get in from the rain. So they lock him in one of the rooms. I forget which room. I don't really care. But they're like, what do we do about the motorist? Like, like, well, we can't let him walk around. He might see the body. So we have a, this motorist locked in a room now. And this is where they decide to split up and search the house because they're like, if none of us killed the cook and Mr. Body, obviously somebody else did. So we're going to split the house, uh, split up and search the house. Uh, Colonel Mustard suggests it in proper military fashion. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, one of my personal favorite lines, there's everyone's got a favorite line from this movie. This is a Mrs. Peacock line, the egg line. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you know which line this is. Yes. Is this, uh, is, are you talking about the scene where he's telling her, like, this is war, Peacock? Yeah, okay, let me quote thing. this, yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. So Ms. Peacock's like, why should we search the house? I don't want to do it. And Colonel Mustard's like, this is war, Peacock. You have to expect casualties. You can't break an omelet without breaking eggs. And any, any cook can tell you that. And Miss Peacock goes, but look what happened to the cook. <laughs> yes, I, and this leads, it's right around this time where I get another wonderful Peacock lot thing. Her headpiece is falling in her face. She's trying to, like, get it away, and then there, she's freaking out. They've got this motorist is right across the hall, and she's yelling, like, yelling and yelling, and she's like, and we've got two dead bodies in the study, and they're all like, shh. <laughs> I, lo I love her in this scene. There's a little subtle joke that I didn't catch as a kid, but I catch now. And I love where Yvette, of course, the sexy one in the French maid outfit, is like, I am scared of the dark. I need a man to go with me. Will one of you go search the house with me? And the two straight guys say, yes, yes. And the gay guy's like, no. <laughs> I just love that. Mr. Green's no. <laughs> yeah, nah, he's good. <laughs> So they they all go in the kitchen and they draw straws, right? This is where they choose who's going to search the house together. 
Yeah, they use these like law like matches, but yeah, it don't matter. It don't matter. They draw. Yeah, draw straws uh, in, as a way of saying, and whoever gets the short one and the long one and the medium one, they're gonna pair up into two. So they get their their oddball pairings here, their juxtaposition uh, against a character that I don't know that they would not want to be with, and they're gonna go explore this mansion and and look for the killer. And somebody along the way says. Uh, you know, what if one of us is the, the, you know, the killer? And then they said, well, that, you know, we're going to, then you'll know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the pairings. It's always a male, female pairing. There's four pairings. There's eight characters left in the movie. And we get, of course, Yvette, the French maid with the gay FBI agent who has no interest in her, yeah. which was, they will immediately be thrust physically into each other as they're walking up the stairs. And again, as I'm 11, this is the greatest scene in movie history where they're walking up the stairs and crammed together. And Yvette is trying or not trying really, but her breasts are trying to desperately escape her outfit. And they come very close. They come very close. Yeah. Cause great. They, they don't want to be the first one up the steps. So they're, they're just kind of sliding up, uh, up this, this stairway to get up to the, the attic, I believe is where, is where they're going. Again, yeah, as, as an 11-year-old, that's the greatest scene in movie history. <laughs> so who else? We have, we have Mrs. Peacock and Professor Plum in the cellar, and they're scared of each other because it's dark and they don't trust each other. You got Mrs. White and and Wadsworth. Wadsworth, yeah. And they, they're doing a lot of really good physical comedy where they're, like, ducking in and out of doors because they don't trust each other trying to get a look at the other one. Yeah, yep, I love that. They go upstairs, and then we get um, Scarlet and Mustard. They're gonna, they kind of go all over. They go to the billiard room and to the ballroom, and then they end up in the conservatory. And I think they're the only pair that we actually see split up. Like mm -hmm. I'll go into that room while you go into that room to add like a little more mystery to to what's going on. But yeah, they they're on their own too. Okay, and in the midst of all this um, searching, we have another red shirt arrives, this cop, this black cop, middle-aged cop shows up, and he rings the doorbell and comes in, and I think at some point, either before the cop arrives or after the cop arrives, one of the major players in the movie sneaks through a secret passage, sneaks up behind the motorist, and kills him with the accursed wrench that we were laughing at earlier. So someone actually gets killed with the wrench, but we don't know who we just know the motorist is talking on the phone saying one of these people is my old boss and it's and then bam wrench over the head yeah they we noticed that i don't know if it's there if we noticed that i don't know if we noticed how they came into the room but yeah we're gonna find out that it's through one of the the two secret passageways and the motorist is gonna get it because there's a passageway behind the fireplace but he is the next one to go here Okay, and again, my notes are very convoluted because this whole movie is chaos now until the ending, mm -hmm. where a lot of stuff is happening simultaneously, where the searches are going on, we have the motorist killed, um, everyone's discovering secret passages, and there's what, this is where we get the chaos, there's a famous scene here where two of them are inside a door, two of them are outside, they're like, let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out. Yeah, explain this. I kind of forget all this stuff mixed up in my head. Yeah, part. so what's going to happen is Scarlet and Mustard go into a conservatory, which, side notes, the plants look terrible in there. That was a note I made. I'm like, who's <laughs> Yvette is not good at watering these plants. Um, but they're going to sneak in. They find the dead motorist, but the door has been locked. Let us in, let us out. Yvette is going to shoot the door with the gun. This is after she shoots the chandelier. And um, and going to let him out that way. And because she has the gun, we're going to notice now that the cabinet that we locked earlier 
um, has been unlocked. They want to know, how did she get this gun? They run in there and she says, well, it was already open in her, her very bad accent. And now we're all free, but now we have a cop here. Um, and we get a scene that I love. Um, Mr. Green's going to take the cop on a tour, but he wants to look in all the rooms. So we have this, uh, wonderful death dance party where they, they're going to divide up into two rooms so that the cop can see what's going on. But and to make that work, they're going to act as if they're having a party. So we get a, a scene here where they're, they're dancing with those who have passed at this point. Yes. It's a literal dead man's party. Who could ask for more right there? Yeah. We have the, the party going on. The cop is explains searching the house. And at one point the phone rings and the cop answers it. And it's J Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI. Yeah. So yeah. There's all sorts of chaos going on. And the cop knows something hinky is going on in this house, uh -huh. but he can't put his finger on what it is. So, although I have to get back to one thing, you pointed out that Yvette was not a good maid because the flowers were dead. Might I remind you, sir, Yvette is a prostitute who works for Miss Scarlet. She's not really a maid. So I will give her a pass on perhaps not being the best botanist. Yeah, that's true. Maybe Mrs. Ho should have done it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so uh, I, I do love the irony that the prostitute is not the one named Mrs. Ho. <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so the cop looks around and he finds nothing and they lock him back in the room. And this is where everybody goes back and finishes their search party. And at some point, the cop gets killed, right? Yeah, the cop is now, someone's going to sneak in there, and, and he's going to get hit in the head. And, and the cop is killed as well with a, with a candlestick, which you, you can kind of, you see the weapons. And if you're going with ending C, you can then kind of associate who it is. But anyway, yeah, the cop's the next one to go. Wait, does he die via candlestick or lead pipe? Because I thought Mr. Body, everybody gets killed with a different weapon. I thought Mr. Body... Got killed. The, the cook got the knife in the back. I thought Mr. Body got the candlestick to the forehead because that's why it was above the, the bathroom door. And then the motorist gets the wrench. I believe now I could be wrong. I know there's a lot of clue diehards out there that are called BS on this one. But I think he gets the lead pipe. You might be right. Yeah. See, this is where my my two worlds are inter intertwining. So for the 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 those clue people, don't come at me. Don't at me. But um, yeah, I think you are right. Um, in the stage version, it's the candlestick. But in the movie, the candlestick is above that door. You know, it hits Wadsworth in the head earlier on. So then, yeah, the cop would then get the lead pipe. Whatever it is, he gets a blunt object to the head, and he doesn't get shot. Wait, so in the stage version, two people die via candlestick. No, in the stage version, uh, Body, when he dies for real, he um, is killed by the lead pipe. Okay. The pipe okay. and the candlestick are switched for who knows why. Who knows? Okay. I thought the candlestick lobby got to you, like big candlestick somehow got little product placement, but I, I, that's where I was going. <laughs> okay, so in the midst of, all this, midst of all this search, the power goes off in the house. The cop gets a blunt object to the back of the yep. head. And then we get the greatest red shirt of them all. A singing telegram decides to show up at the door. Da -da 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 -da. I am your singing telegram. And she gets shot which I remember got a huge laugh in the theater because it's so quick and violent and pointless, that whole scene. Yep, the biggest laugh in the stage version. I mean, to the point where, like, that we, you just, we just, every, you just stop and just let the audience have it because it's so ridiculous. It's so out of nowhere. You know, the idea of a singing telegram, I don't even know if it's relevant anymore. And she's only there for about two seconds and then she just gets shot right in the head. <laughs> and a little trivia. Do you know who that singing telegram is? You might be too young. 
I only know because I was I do my research, Mario, so I know that it's someone from the Go Go's. Yes, that is Jane Weedlin. Yeah, Jane Weedlin from the Go Go's, who is also in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as Joan of Arc. Uh, there you go. No, I I would have <laughs> never recognized a Go Go member if I didn't read it online. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. And this is really the end of the movie, to be honest. It's yeah. funny how quick it is because Wadsworth turns the power back on. We have five murder victims. And from here on out, this is where it splits. In the theater, you either got ending A, B, or C. And it's right when Wadsworth turns the power back on. And I will kind of let you lead, I will let you lead us into the first ending here. Yeah, so once he comes back out and he turns the, the power back on, we're on ending A. If you're watching the DVD, it goes A, B, C all the way through. Um and uh, the the deep details might escape me, but it, long story short, ending A, um, we start, he recaps everything with us. Um, oh, let me stop for one second. Before that, though, we got the, the, the great reenactment scene where he runs yes. from room to room. Yeah, so don't, he, don't overlook that one. Yeah, so let's stop for a second. Cause, right, so he, re, he takes us through the night once, technically. He being Wadsworth. Yeah, he being Wadsworth, where he runs us from room to room, and we get this awesome, I just love it, the characters are exhausted, and he's running with his high knees, and, and he recaps the night for us. Then we get to where now you're going to get your ending, um, and ending A is the idea that, um, or is the fact, I guess, that Yvette uh, started the murder spree tonight, but then Scarlet um, kills her with the noose. Yvette was one of Scarlet's uh, employees. Um, and, I guess and, we should have mentioned that Yvette has died at some point. Oh, yeah, we forgot that. Yeah, Yvette <laughs> dies in a in something that always bugs me. I actually wrote it down. We see Yvette walking into the room um, where she's going to die at, the ballroom. And a voice says, um, asks her, like, if they know her. I can't find it on my notes. But basically... Um, and she says something along the lines of, yes, they've seen every part of me. It's it's a it's very, very weird. Yeah. Have fun uh, doing that as a stage production. We have a 15 year old girl playing that role. Oh, they've seen every part of my body. Yeah. Don't yeah. Let, don't include that line. Oh, here it is. I found it. OK. The voice, this voice, which is, a, I guess, is supposed to be a female voice, but depending on the ending, it doesn't really work, says, did anyone recognize you? And she says, yes, they know every inch of me. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, one of the greatest characters of any movie in the 80s, Yvette. Anyway, she's dead now. She died. Yeah, she's dead. She's gone. So in, in ending A, she started our murder spree. Scarlet finished it. They, of course, denying it. And then Wadsworth saying, well, it's whoever has the gun. And and Scarlet has the gun and it's this whole tie in with her her escort service or, or whatever we want to call it. But Yvette worked for her um, and Mustard was one of her clients. The cop, when he first came in, um, thought he recognized them. And that's because the cop was on her payroll as well. Um, and and so option A is the Scarlet is the killer option. Like I said earlier, it's the one that it does work the best. Um, it makes sense that Yvette would have – it don't make sense, but Yvette is missing from those scenes to have killed um, the cook, to have killed a uh, body, and for Scarlet to have then went on the rest of the killing spree that night. Yeah, and again, at the time, this was universally considered the best and the most successful of the three endings. 
Yeah, Again, it it's is. not it's not the flashiest. And the only no. thing I always remember about this one is the one plus two plus one plus one. There's a little discussion between Yvette and or, uh, between Miss Scarlet and Wadsworth over how many bullets are still left in the gun. We get a chandelier fall that almost kills Colonel Mustard. Okay. That's that's the big takeaway from this one. But again, if you had seen this in the theater, the movie would have ended right here with ending A. You wouldn't have even seen flames on the side of my face you would never ever even seen what that. a shame what a disservice yeah and that's why i was so shocked that that line became a big meme because that was only a lot of people wouldn't have even seen that ending yeah yeah you get you get the ending right here i'm i'm glad that in the stage version even though it's ending c they they borrowed a little from not really b but they did borrow from a and we still get the scarlet and wadsworth one plus one plus two plus one in that ending. Cause I do, I do think that's my favorite part of ending a. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I remember at the time seeing this movie and thinking they had all these big name comedy stars and then Leslie Ann Warren. And I thought it was odd that they gave her the honor of being the killer. Like mm-hmm. where she becomes the star of the movie when she was the least known, probably of those six yeah. actors. But it makes way more sense when you realize that role was written for princess Leia for Carrie Fisher then it makes way more sense that she would have been the star of the movie because she was a big name, obviously. Right, and and would have and would have had that would have had that ending. But um, yeah, I would I would love to have uh, watched this with like in an alternate world where we can see Carrie Fisher play Scarlet. I think that'd be so much fun. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, I do think Leslie Ann Warren is maybe the most standout of the six characters to me. I think she does a good job. So I, I yeah. don't want to besmirch her, but uh, it's, yeah. she was just not a big name at the time. Yeah. No, she does great. Okay. Well, I do, again, I, I know people are yelling at this podcast, and you guys are jumping all over. You skipped right past Wadsworth recreating the entire movie, and we kind of are just because it's hard to explain slapstick in a podcast, and I, I feel bad because that's the most memorable part of this movie. There's literally 10 minutes of Wadsworth recreating the entire movie up until where he solves the crime, running around imitating people. I love where he imitates Mr. Green. I had to stop her from screaming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, he he does. It, it's I mean, it's this physical comedy that of him, it's a great performance. It's re, it, they're recapping what has happened. But in, like you said, in like eight or nine minutes and we get these wonderful shots of them running. They're starting to get exhausted and Wadsworth leading the pack. One of the best moments is he when he's telling um, us that Mr. Body has been shot. He says, and then the lights were out. And then when they flip the lights back on, he's laying down like Mr. Body. And they think like, oh. Wait, did Wadsworth die? And after a beat, he pops up and says, "Mr. Body lay dead on the floor." And like it gets this <laughs> this this great comedy uh, from it. And as he's reenacting it, sometimes he will he will use the these other people as um, I don't know props. I props, guess you would yeah. say, yeah. And he'll throw Mr. Green, or in one of the endings, he fake strangles Miss White, and and they're falling on the floor. And it, it's just it's great great physical comedy i i love that reenactment but again like you said it's something you have to watch you can't really like describe how he's running around but you just have to see it youtube it yeah exactly it's it's a fantastic scene again even though i didn't love this movie as a kid i did love this part because this is the standout and i have to guess when you have you know people lining up to do this play that's the part that everybody wants that's the meaty fun part right there yeah well it, it was worse you know the you have to have a great Wadsworth. His line count alone, it just in the stage version, is almost tri- I mean triple the mm-hmm. amount of lines the other people have, and mainly because of this scene here, because he has such a a, a long dialogue here. But um, 
you know, this, this is the part of the movie even slash play. It, it's so fun. There's so much energy and it, it's so much fun to stage to be able to say, okay, you know, now you guys, we're going to run this set redoing everything that we did do that, you know, in real time, we set for an hour and watched. Now I want you to run around from room to room reenacting this. You get no time to stop and breathe. Mm -hmm. You have five minutes. Go. <laughs> and there's one line here. Like, it's not even the funniest line in the movie. It just stands out to me because it's so weird where <laughs> Wadsworth is like, we all came here, but one of you or one of us wasn't here. Nah. And they're like, nah. And he's like, no. <laughs> just, I don't even know why that's funny. It just, it's a weird way he says, nah. <laughs> uh, yes. I, th there is, um, there's one part in one of these, I can't, I, they are running together for me, but yeah, these, these little bitty things, there's one part where Miss White just does like this little scream that <laughs> yeah. I laugh so hard every, it's like, why did she do that? It makes no sense. I wrote that down too in my notes. Like, why did she scream there? It's like, it's not even a full scream. She just says, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh every time. <laughs> okay. And again, you said earlier that these are all red shirts. These are random visitors to the house but they do in the movie's defense they do try to shoehorn them into the plot oh the singing telegram that was the girl that professor plumch had an affair with as his, as his client so oh this was your driver during the war so there is an explanation for all these yeah, people they do. although yeah. it's just stupid it makes no sense no it really does it doesn't make sense and um i i again i apologize for running my two storylines together but somewhere in the clue universe exists a line of of the, of trying to justify like why they're showing up um you know like but it, it it just doesn't work that the one person that could give you away for a whole bunch of party guests that all of them happen to show up on the same <laughs> night like i guess someone could have ordered the singing telegram girl to get her there on purpose but um yeah they they shoehorn like you said in that all the people have died. They do have a connection to one of the players. So it makes a little sense, I guess. So the stage version doesn't try to give a backstory. Like we don't get an origin story for the singing telegram girl. We don't. We get a very quick line that that's the girl that got him fired. Okay. Do we, do we know her name? Like Mike, the motorist? Is she like Sheila? <laughs> no, we don't. Shout out to my singing telegram girl. Her name was Tia. So maybe we'll just say that that's her name, but we don't Tia. know her name. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Tia, the best character in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the best one got the biggest laugh, but yeah, no, we, I don't know the singing telegram girl's name, but, uh, yeah, she's gone. Rip, rest in peace. <laughs> okay. So that's ending one. Miss Scarlet did everything to cover her prostitution yep. business and she had Yvette help her. And again, that one makes the most sense. That was universally considered the strongest of the three endings. Now we go to the one that I don't like cause it's dumb and I it just, is. it doesn't, so what happens in this one? This is the, the Miss Peacock ending. This is the Miss Peacock one, and it's the worst ending, even though I love Peacock. She may be my favorite character. I, you would think that I would love the idea that um, that she did it, but it, there, it just I, – I might even fail on even explaining it. Peacock's the one that did it, and she – if she's the one that did all of this, like, why is she strangling Yvette? Like, why – like, because she isn't – part of the prostitution ring or sorry escort ring um the only takeaway for watching b is i love when they sing you're a jolly good fellow to her <laughs> <laughs> and i wish that was in the stage version so when i watch b i just love them awkwardly they start breaking out they decide that basically they're all gonna leave they're gonna let this go peacock has the gun she says i'm gonna go first 
So, you know, she has the gun to him. I'm going to go first. So she, as she's backing up to the door, they break out into you're a jolly good fellow with uh, Miss White singing also just in a hysterical way. And, and she leaves and runs into this. I don't know. He's like an evangelist or like a, a man. Uh, I don't know. He some this man. And basically he's the undercover um, FBI agent. And she gets stopped outside with all of these police and the dogs and these giant lights that apparently they've set up over the course of the night. And uh, Miss Peacock did it all. Now, I I do not feel you're giving proper credit to the intricacies of this storyline. Let me explain, because it's 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 fairly obvious. No, I got nothing. There's no, there's no, there's no way you can justify the storyline. Really... B, I, yeah, I don't know. I've tried with B in my notes. I under B, I have Yvette singing Telegram Girl? Question mark? Question mark? Why? Yeah. Like I like I can't figure out if it's Miss Peacock. Why was she, why did she say to? Where's the line? Why did she say to Yvette? Did they recognize you? And why did Yvette say to her? They know every inch of me. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah. So really, the storyline is Miss Peacock was the wife of a senator and her, yes. her husband was taking bribes and he was going to be exposed. So she killed the cook. That was her cook. So the story yes. makes sense up to that point. And then just for the hell of it, she kills everybody else. <laughs> yeah, the cook part makes sense. That was her former cook. We you know, that's why. And when you go back to the dinner scene, like she it was her favorite dish, this monkey brains dish. Um, like so the they. The, the hints are there that it could be Peacock in the beginning, but then afterwards, yeah, why did she kill poor Mike for? What did he do? <laughs> <laughs> and Tia, what did Tia do to you, Mr. Peacock? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, B doesn't work. Man. Yeah, I don't like B. I know. And it does, although, in all fairness, I have to say, it would be hard to write a storyline that could plausibly have three endings. Like, I know Deborah Hill, uh, which is the producer of this. I forget who wrote it, but it's got to be tough to write a movie that could plausibly have three storylines. This second one doesn't work at all. It doesn't fit anything, but it does have the line that I always like where at the end, the uh, J we find out that Wadsworth was working for J. Edgar Hoover, and he says, yeah. we always get our man. And Mrs. Green and Mr. Green says, Mrs. Peacock was a man? And then he gets slapped, and that's how that one ends. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would, I'm all for if someone, you know, had a movie like this where it was like a more choose your own adventure and, you know, in a perfect world, all the, there were multiple endings, yet you could track them throughout the story. They were all justified. Yeah, it'd be a lot of work. I don't want to do it, but I would definitely go watch it. But this is not that movie. <laughs> and we're kind of over overshadowing the guy who arrests her at the end and he's in all three endings he's a televangelist turns out yeah, he's a that's cop what, yeah that's what he is i yeah. can't think of what it was called but that's uh howard hessman big comedy star at the time so yet another big name in this movie i think people kind of forget he was in uh wkrp in cincinnati uh hosted snl a couple times he was a big famous name so all these people were big comedy names it just it's just kind of a mess. But anyway, let's go to the final ending, ending C, which in the movie is presented as this is how it really happened in the theater. This was just one of the three endings. This is ending C. Again, my personal favorite because it was the most slapsticky and the craziest. And this is the first one I saw. So the other two felt underwhelming to me at the time. But again, everyone knows this is the ending now. And this is the one with the famous Mrs. White speech. Yeah, which I found out uh, back, you know, a couple years ago or whatever, that she, that that was improvised, that she just did that. And so now when I watch that scene, I look at Colonel Mustard behind her 
because I'm trying to like read on his face, like if he's giving anything off, like assuming that he's never, he has no idea where she's going with this. But um, yeah, this is option, uh, option C. This is where um, everyone did it. Like everyone like killed their person. This is the stage version. Kind of like we're all in this together. Again, it still has its, its plot holes, but it's, it's the most fun. Green is not green. We find out that he was the undercover agent. Um, and this is where we, when they call out Miss White, they say, you know, you hated Yvette, which we, we have a little foreshadowing in the beginning. You kind of recognize that White might know her. And it is because Yvette had an affair with her husband. And, and she gives us her improvised speech where she says, yes, I hated her. Flames, flames on the side of my face, burning, heaving breath. And then she's just cut off. <laughs> yeah. And Madeline Kahn was a very well-known improviser. That's why Mel Brooks liked her. She was like his secret weapon. So yeah. like, it does not surprise me at all that that was improvised. I know Martin Mull was a very famous improviser as well. I know Fernwood Tonight was mostly improvised. So I think all of these actors, other than maybe Leslie Ann Warren, were probably well-trained in imp improvisation. But that's the one that everyone remembers, that flames on the side of my face. Yeah, and, I, and truthfully, I love it too, but I couldn't tell you really of multiple reasons why. It's yeah. not that it's uh, a, a clever, uh, you know, thing. It, it's just, it's uh, like this movie. It, it's random and it, it's, it's, it's weird. And she's trying to describe what she's saying, but she's not really getting it out. And um, it, I don't know, it's just funny. It's just really funny. Yeah. And again, like so many things, that is not the line that I thought would be the one that people remember from this movie in 30, 40 years. It's that's crazy to me, because, again, I saw this movie and I'm good with movie quotes. That's what I do. I remember movie quotes. And I saw this movie a bunch of times and I would have predicted, you know, several others. The uh, ne, no or let us in, let us in, let us out, let, let us out. out. Then the, the, the last line of this one, which was, at the time was my favorite line from the movie. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. <laughs> like yes. these are the ones that I thought would endure. Mrs. Peacock was a man. Like it's the flames on the side of my face. No way would I ever have predicted 30 years in the future would be the one that people quote. Oh, my, uh, my friend, Kaylin, who even introduced me to this, that is her, this is her movie. And that is her line. And we say that to each other all the time, you know, if uh, flames on the side of my face, like it just the, the cadence in which she delivers it. Um, it's very important. I just like it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you said that's her movie. That's her line. This is everybody's movie and that's everybody's line. It's the weirdest yeah, thing. This true. movie is so yeah. popular and that's the line that everyone thinks is their line. Yeah. I tell my friend, you're not that special. Everyone loves that line. That's right. We, we're going to bring her down a peg. Yeah. She, she needs it. I'll let her know later. <laughs> we bring people up like Tia and we bring people down. That's what we do. Yeah. Even yeah, Steven. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this ending C is, yeah, like you said, everybody kills somebody. And this mm -hmm. one actually logically kind of makes sense because, of course, they would kill the person who's blackmailing them. Like, that would make logically logic right. sense that, let's see, uh, Plum shot Mr. Body, but he missed, and then killed him later. And then Peacock killed her cook. Colonel Mustard killed the motorist. That was his driver in the war. Miss White killed Yvette because she hated her so much, Flair. <laughs> And then Miss Scarlet killed the cop because the cop was on her payroll. Yep. And the only one who we don't find out who'd been killed yet is the singing telegram. This is like the only unanswered mystery at the end. And for some reason, Wadsworth killed the singing telegram. Yeah, that one, that one doesn't 
the obvious answer here is that, okay, Plum would kill the singing telegram. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the girl that got him fired. That's the, the, you know, that's the thing. And then Wadsworth could have killed Mr. Body, which in the stage version is how it is. So I'm very grateful for that. But uh, in the movie, yeah, it's opposite. And uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah. So this is, I think, the ending that critics had a problem with, because at the end of the movie, we find out Wadsworth was Mr. Body. He was the uh, one that was blackmailing everyone. I wish everyone. they would have never done that. Yeah, so it's weird. So you remember this ending, see as everyone kills everyone, but that's not really the accurate story. It really is Mr. Wadsworth was Mr. Body all along. He tricked them into killing all the people that were blackmailing them, and then he tries to get away at the end, but he is stopped by the one true hero of the movie, the only one who never kills anybody in any of the endings, and who would that be? That would be uh, Mr. Green. Mr. The Green, undercover yes. FBI, Larry. <laughs> I don't know if that's his name in the movie. I don't remember. It's just a stage version. Don't come at me. <laughs> so Larry shoots Wadsworth and yep. ends the day. We find out that Larry is not just some repressed homosexual FBI agent. He's actually a trained killer. And he ends yep. the movie. He saved the day. He works for J. Edgar Hoover. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Yeah, and we get a and a, a, we end on that pot. Good for him. I mean, he's had a really eventful night. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Green gets the most abuse. He gets slapped around, thrown yeah. into a toilet. He just is the brunt of all jokes the entire movie. But it turns out he's the real hero. And I, again, you can like you said, your students don't like the whole subplot of him being gay, and that's why that he's being exposed. But that does set up the big joke at the end right. that I'm not. I'm just I'm going home to have sex with my wife. Like that's. You you have well, you need one to have the other. So if you cut that storyline, then you cut the punchline. So right, it's a necessary. It, yeah. yeah, it works. But on C, the one other thing I wanted to say, when I have such a problem with Wadsworth saying that he was actually Mister Body because it creates this whole spinoff like thing that it just it really makes it problematic. Because if that's what you're going with, then when Mister Body was there earlier, he was like. Yeah. Why did he go along with being addressed by not his name? You know, like it's very weird. Yeah. C holds up to scrutiny the least. And that's why I do think it's kind of a shame this one became the popular one. And this is the one that they decided to go with in the video as this is what really happened. Because, again, it was not guaranteed when they moved this to home video or DVD because they had to pick one to be the ending. It was not guaranteed this would be the ending. I do think it's probably a shame they picked this one, but I can see this is the most popular one because it's got all the quotes. But it, it makes the least sense. I just think they would have done themselves better if they just it didn't give us that Wadsworth was actually Mr. Body. They just said, okay, listen, you came here, Mr. Body, the guy that's dead, leaving man, he is dead. He wanted to bring you here. For some reason, he wanted Wadsworth dead, whatever. Wadsworth was being blackmailed too, yada, yada, yada. You all, you know, we all did our thing. Um, Let's try to get out of here. Oh, wait, Mr. Green was undercover. The real Mr. Green didn't come. And now we're arrested. Yeah, it would still have its issues, but I just... Yeah, it, it's it just doesn't hold up when he says that he was real. He was he was also undercover the whole time. Very weird. And that is the power of this movie. Despite all that, people still love it and worship it, even though it makes no sense. It's not a good movie. I don't know if anybody would would argue this is really a great movie, but. Yeah. It's just the power of movies, and that's kind of the whole thing with staff picks, that I want movies that people love, and people love Clue. They really do. This is an unabashed love fest of a movie that people just worship, 
And again, it took me, I'm not entirely sure, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure I love it as much as most people, but there's no disputing that it is this is one of the most popular movies of the 80s nowadays, and it will go down in history as one of the big celebration triumphs of the 80s when, again, it's not even that good a movie, but people just love it, and it's really interesting to me. I think it I think it comes back to this idea that it's the interaction between characters. If you get people, these characters, they all have their own story. They all have their personality traits, you know, a little bit. They're kind of stereotyped to be who they are. And then to watch the interactions between them, if that works and makes you laugh and you see someone like uh, Mrs. Peacock deal with Mrs. White or like be put in those places, then you you just you can forgive the mystery a little bit because it's like those it's those interactions like you know you mentioned survivor you know i'm a big survivor fan as well and like i know mario that you feel the same way but is that survivor it's about those those storylines and those interactions mm -hmm. of these people from all around the world when we look at like early seasons and we didn't have uh, all the stuff that we have now but <laughs> You know, and we see it. I like to watch those seasons because those interactions, I want to see uh, Big Tom or I want to see Sandra and these kind of people. And, and it is what it is. And I think like with a, a mystery, a murder mystery movie, you get um, if the characters work, it works. And I think that's what people's picking up on. I, I don't think that they're um, that they really sit down like maybe you and I did and think, hey. This really does a lot of plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. I pick holes and stuff. But yeah. at the end of the day, Clue makes people happy. And it's like, yeah. that's such a bad thing. That's the thing. It's it's no. not great. It was not a hit. It was Again, this was a flop. It was well known as a flop. They never yeah. made a Clue 2. They never tried to do anything else. It didn't make money. But it makes people happy. And I, I wish there were more movies in the world that only existed to make people happy. Like, you don't have to overthink it. That's all it exists to do. So I will begrudgingly... I will begrudgingly concede my point that Clue was not a movie that should have been remembered for the 80s. Now I will, I will say you guys were probably all right, and maybe we just think about movies differently. So I am glad that I did a, an episode on it finally. Oh, I'm glad that you did too. I hope everyone, everyone uh, take just pop Clue in and watch it and laugh. Like you said, don't think too hard about it. It's not asking you to. It, you know, it's not a show with it, with, that you need to sit and analyze for hours. Laugh at it, have fun with it, and if someone around you is performing it on stage, go see it, go see it, go support it. It's fun, it's funny, you'll have a good time. Yep, and does I would assume the stage version always gets a huge audience pop. It's got to be popular, right? Well, it has a name, and when especially, you know, I'm in the Midwest area, so especially when you're trying to, you're trying to get people into the theater if it's not a, a, a big populated area, um, the, the number one thing is you want a name. You want and you stick Clue up there. It has a great, it has beautiful show posters. People know the game. They know the movie. They know the characters. And so it's an easy watch for them. So it's successful. All right. And again, I just want to thank you for coming on. And, and once again, I have to reiterate, this was the most requested movie of any movie I've ever done on Staff Picks. And out of all the co-hosts that wanted to do it, I picked Jimmy. So if Jimmy sucked, make sure to let him know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, let me know. Follow me first to up my follows and then let me know. <laughs> <laughs> now, you told me before we started, this was your first podcast ever, correct? 
this is my my first yeah like a podcast that wasn't just me and my friends talking that no one listened to so so thank you for for everyone that listens i'm no stranger to podcasts i'm everywhere on the podcasting world but i i'm listening from outside the door i think so well i appreciate you saying that you think people listen to this podcast so i think you very much overestimate my power in this world <laughs> you may you may have more than what me and my friends do and we're just talking so uh you know i can tell you right now my mom will listen. So you've got one. All right. Thank you. So Jimmy's mom, shout out to you. Thank you. And also, please be a patron. If I could rope her into giving me a paycheck, too, that'd be good. Okay. Well, see, I also need money, mom. So if you could send that. No, that. I love you more than he does. <laughs> hey, and I, I know I can. We'll get about uh, 20 or 30 uh, former Clue cast members here to listen to. So you may get you may get a, a bigger uh, a pop in your younger audience, whether that's good or not. <laughs> I'm just pointing out to your mom, Jimmy has always disappointed you and I have always loved you. So if, the, if there's patron dollars up for grabs, just remember that I am your number one fan. So anyway, Jimmy, I want to thank you for coming on. I thought you did a great job for your first podcast in particular. I'd love to have you back. So come up with another movie that you feel strongly about and we'll have you back again one day. Anytime, anytime. All right. And again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love. And I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. Sorry, didn't mean to frighten you. You're a bit late for that. Hate when he does that. <laughs>